Now let us turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now here we continue in the scene where they have, the people have experienced the great deliverance of God. It was a long passage. We split it up into a responsive reading and scripture reading. Now, to get the whole picture. Now, what is the lesson to learn from here? Look at verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. Wow, what happened? What happened? They just were delivered from a great victory. Why is it that they were distressed? Now, the explanation is given here. For Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening. Why? Why was he forcing this oath, this swearing upon the people? Well, Saul says this. He reveals his heart. That I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. Now, when you read such a thing, I think the immediate thought in your heart would be, Saul is a very selfish person. Saul leads a selfish life. That is the title today, A Selfish Life. What must we learn and also unlearn? Now, first we want to see the attitudes, the attitudes of a selfish life. Then we want to consider the effects of a selfish life. Then, well, also learn from the contrast of an unselfish life. The effects, oh, sorry, the attitudes of a selfish life. Now, this is something that we must examine our own hearts. Now, don't sit here and listen and say, oh, that person is like that, this person is like that. Examine our own hearts. What is a selfish life like? Now, the attitude one. Let's look at verse 24. Now, from his own mouth, I may be avenged on my enemies. My enemies. I want to be avenged. Well, a selfish person, a selfish person makes everything about himself or herself. Everything is about me. Now, even when it is to attack the enemies of God, even it is when we are doing God's work, so to speak, doing something that's involved about the church, about Christianity, for them, about the kingdom of Israel. Now, even when these things are being done, it is for the reason of satisfying himself. It's about him. Now, he has been embarrassed, humiliated. Remember, we've seen the enemies all faced him, people scattered from him. How embarrassing! From hundreds of thousands that gathered to fight with him. Felt so good, right? Went out to war. Wow, look behind him. Hundreds and thousands. But now, turning around, only 600. This all because of the Philistines. I'm such a humiliated general now. Humiliated king. He ran away like a dog with a tail behind him, between his legs. Now he says, now, now I have the upper hand. Now they are weak. And his exact words were, avenge that I may be avenged. I, not God, not the glory of God, not the name of God, not that God's name was brought down, but I, my name must be avenged. And it's a personal vengeance. Personal vengeance. Now, if you look further on, in verse 36, And Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them till, until the morning, and let us not leave a man. Now, the extent of this, everything is about myself. Get the spoils. Stock up my kingdom. With the spoils. Spoil means not spoiled things, right? The, these words are the, the things that they can take from their enemies. 
out of, out of war, out of the victory of war, stock, stock my riches. And you know, these people embarrass me. Let us not leave a single one alive. Now here, it was personal vengeance, and it's everything about him. Now in fact, um, you will see that um, even this part reveals that Saul's heart, when he says, I, I, I send you out to kill the enemies, he repeatedly saying, it's about me, right? all about me. So that is what it is when we are selfish. Now, Saul did not care for the general good of his people. Now, that is the second one, a lack of consideration for others. That is a selfish life. The attitude of a selfish life is like that. Don't really care about what other people, what the bigger group of people will go through as long as I get what I want. Are we like that? Now look at verse 24. Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening. I don't care if you're hungry. I don't care if the whole group of you doing what I send you out to do will suffer. You make sure you do what I want you to do. And I don't care how you feel, what you will go through. I don't care if the general big group is going to suffer, but as long as I get what I want. If the majority of people have to go through suffering, and even if they don't want it, but because I want it, I expect everyone to go through that suffering. Now, a selfish life does not consider how people would benefit or not benefit. It's just as long as I benefit from these actions. Now, when you see verse 35, all right, sorry, verse um, 36. When he sent them to go out at night, and he said, let's go out at night and fight till morning light. Fight till morning light. Now, how inconsiderate was he? First, he tell them, you cannot eat. And then the people have to go and fight the enemies, and they will, they will faint, all right? Now, if you look at verse um, Verse uh, 31, and they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, and the people were very faint, not just faint, but very faint. They were so weak already. And then finally, well, you see, after he let them eat. All right, it's evening, so he, he let them eat. And the moment they've eaten, they don't even get to rest. They just came back. That day, they came back, and that night, all right, that night, they got to eat in verse 34, all right, um, with the last part, with him that night, and they slew them, and they, he allowed them to eat that night. They just came back from the day. They didn't get to rest. All right, now you've eaten, right? Now let's, now you go. Fight overnight. You've eaten already. What do you want? Go fight. I want the spoils. I want every one of this, every single one of them that humiliated me, I want them to die. You go. Let's go. Let's go. You see, a selfish life is like that. We make people go through discomfort. We make people go through trouble. We make people go through what they do not want, they do not need, just to get what we want. And we don't care. We don't care. He will even put a curse. That's how little he care. I will curse anyone. I will make you enter adjured. Adjured means he will, he will lay it on them and they have no choice but to well, respond in an oath. An oath was repeated. Look at verse 26. Alright? And the people will come to the wood and what? The, for the people feared the oath. He forced them into an oath. So the people know now I'm cursed if I, if I eat. Now, young ones, I don't want you to go home tonight and say, Daddy, Mommy, pastor say you should not make me go through trouble. I don't like family worship. Right? I want to sleep. I want to play my games. But you want to do family worship. How? You are so selfish. 
You make me go through all this. All right, don't be so twisted. This is about, well, someone wanting to do something that is for themselves. Selfish. No, not spiritual, not for the, benef- the spiritual benefit of others. Right? Family worship is for your spiritual benefit. Your, pa- your parents are not being selfish. Same for spouses. When your husband or your wife encouraged to do you something, right? you don't say, you're so selfish. Always wanting your way. Now, if that way is spiritual, is for the betterment of your spiritual good or for the family, likewise for singles, your friends encourage you, yeah, it's always your way. We are not saying that, all right? So please do not call someone selfish when they want to do something that is for spiritual good. Here, Saul, just simply, I don't care what you feel, how you feel, you just do this. Now, then the third thing about, the third characteristic about a selfish life, right? The first one is, well, makes everything about himself or herself. Second one, like consideration for others just to get what he wants or he, she wants. Now, the third one, this characteristic is they're more concerned about self than God's work. More concerned about self than God's work. What is needed for God's work is lower of lower concern. Now, he sent them out. His main aim, you avenge me of my enemies. You don't do it, I put a curse on you, and I'm not, I don't want you to rest, I don't want you to eat, I just want you to keep avenging me. You know what that means? The people that go out to fight, they are fighting for God's kingdom's work. They need the strength, they need the energy to fight. But I don't care even if you're weakened. You must be so afraid of me and what I want. I don't care if you're weak. Now, if he had a concern for God's work, he'll be thinking very differently. Will they be weak without the food? My aim is to do God's work. My aim is to defeat God's enemy for his glory. Then he will think very differently. He will think, what do they need to do that? But when he's so self-obsessed, and that is how we are when we are selfish, we are so self-obsessed. We will make decisions that will force people to do what we want to do, even if it means it's going to impact them. Impact how they can be effective for God. Saul did not care about them. Now, look at Saul, and this is how we can be, all right? Look at verse 37. And Saul asked counsel of God, right? And Saul cast counsel of God. Then shall I go down after the Philistines, verse 37. Will thou deliver them to the hand of Israel? But God answered him, but he answered him not that day. Now, a person can even sound very holy in prayers. A selfish person can sound very holy. His intent was his own vengeance to the point where he doesn't care if people are weakened to do God's work. Just put my fear in them to do my, my bidding. But here when he prays to God, oh, will you deliver them into hand of Israel? Huh? Just before that, my enemies, my vengeance. And then he even said, well, draw all the people. God is not answering. There must be sin. Wow, so concerned about sin. Now that can be us. We can be selfish, but yet pray prayers that sound like it's for God, like for Israel, like for the church. But all the while, it was not that. You know, praying holy prayers is one thing. But what are our words? What are our lives like? Outside prayer, that is the true test. A selfish life can apparently look holy. Isn't it true? So we see three things, all right? Then the fourth thing, all right? The fourth thing about a selfish life is he or she will be ready to sacrifice others to get what he wants. Ready to sacrifice others. 
not only don't care, but will sacrifice others. Look at verse 44, right? Look at verse 44. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. You know, it's amazing to hear a father, to hear a father from his lips call his own son Jonathan. In the very same phrase, you will surely die, Jonathan. His answer, his prayer was not answered. And he is not going to stop at all. He is willing to, to kill his own son just to get what he wants. It's amazing to see how selfishness can drive each one of us to the point where we would put ourselves and what we want so important that we will sacrifice even the closest of kin. That is this horrible, horrible attitude of selfishness. Now, when we are selfish people, now, even if it drives our family apart, even if it drives the church apart, we don't care. I want what I want. I want my way. Even if the general good will suffer, but my idea is this. Even if my family will suffer, this is what I want. Husbands, are you like that? Wives, are you like that? Children, are you like that? I don't care if I will cause all these problems in my home. I will keep going at it, at it, until I get what I want. Child, you don't like it, I will fight with you. Husband or wife, you don't like it, I will fight with you. Now, I want you to also note when you read this, it is quite unique because when he said, well, what is standing between what I want and the prayer I want to hear from God? How does he try to resolve it? Now, if you look um, at verse um, 40, verse 40, Then said he unto all Israel, Be on the one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. Now, it is a very odd way of casting lots, right? So, they ask God, and they say, God, well, show us, show us by lot, you know, um, make, make a perfect lot. All right, in verse 41, give a perfect lot. All right. Now, when you read in the Bible, typically when they cast lot to find out who has sinned, they would divide people into the tribes, right? Divide the tribes. Saul and Jonathan, they themselves belong to a tribe, right? They would divide the tribes and then go lot by lot, tribe by tribe, and then narrow down to the tribe and narrow down to the tribe, then narrow down to the individual in the tribe. But here is very odd. He says, all the people, I don't care what tribe, all of you just stand one side. Me and my son, we stand on the other side. So odd. Now, that is the selfish behavior. Me and my family are one side. Church, other people, you are on the other side. Selfish way of thinking and behaviors. Well, he also said, then in my family, in my family, if, if I find out you are the problem, you are, the way, you are standing between me and what I want, I will also sacrifice you. Now, a selfish person does not care. Does not care about, look at verse 24. The men of the Israel were in distress that day. They do not care about the distress they cause in their homes. They do not care about the distress they cause in the church. Now, the family wants to do something that is good for spiritually good or spiritually good for the general good. The husband, the wife, or the child, right? Right? doesn't care. I, I do not want that. 
And even if it means there's constant quarrel in the home, or husband, wife, or children, whatever it is, I want this in my life, I want that. I don't care. And it's always about me. I will fight for it. And even with the, every conversation is an argument about that. I don't care. I don't care. They don't care about the distress that they will cause, that they are causing, and they will continue to be like that. Are you and I like that? Causing this kind of distress in the home? In the church? Look at verse um, 28. Sorry, in verse 29. Even Jonathan said, My father hath troubled the land. My father has troubled the land. Are you that selfish individual that is troubling? Troubling your home. Troubling your friendships. Troubling the church. Jonathan saw very clearly the selfishness of his father is causing all these problems. The land means it talks about not just, well, the people in the land. He knows that this is troubling the work of God. Now, your, the thing that you want so much, that you're so selfish about in your home, is it affecting your home spiritual, spiritual walk? Is it affecting... Your home serving God? Is it? What about in the church? Now, when you know that you are causing distress and trouble, you have to ask yourself, I'm tearing the family, I'm tearing the church apart, I'm even tearing relationship within my family or within friends apart for what I want. Now, do note this. Um, Saul made them enter into an oath, adjured them into an oath with him. This oath was not a sinful oath. It was a foolish, selfish oath. Know that, all right? He did not ask them to sin. He just said, I want you to fight, and I want you to fight all the way and not eat. That, that himself is not asking them to commit sin. Now, but friends, sometimes we have to come to a realization. Even when something is, is, is not good, it's selfish, all right? We still need to know in our hearts, all right? If an oath is an oath, well, then it's something that it is not sinful. Well, we need to, we need to complete the oath. Now, why am I talking about Sometimes members, we'll talk about this a bit more after, sometimes members. Well, members take a vow, right? Members take a vow, well, not to disrupt the church. Take a vow to support the church. And some things in the church, when being done, they are not sinful. But there are directions for the general betterment, for the general good of the majority. But it may not fit you. It may not be your preference. It may not be what you like or want. But do not be so selfish to cause others, members, to enter into doing what you want, support what you want, and go around causing problems. Same in the home. Right? Daddy and mommy want something. It's not sinful. All right? It may be tough, but you don't go around inciting your siblings against them. So there is a fine line that we need to learn. All right? But on the other hand, do not make people enter into foolish oaths that because of your selfishness. Yes, you know your children need to obey you. Yes, you know that as spouses, we need to um, support one another. But for your selfishness, you make them enter into something, an agreement with you to get what you want. All right? On the other side, do not be people like that. I'm your mother. I'm your father. And you don't care about what they're going through, all right? On both sides, we must be careful. Now, back to this. So those are the four things that a selfish 
life have in terms of attitude? Everything is about himself or herself. There's a lacking in consideration for others and they are the general good of the majority and they're more concerned about themselves than God's word. And finally, for, their, for what they want, they're willing to cause, any, they're willing to allow anything happen to anyone and cause distress, trouble. I don't care. I just want it my way. That's a selfish life. Now we look at the effects, all right? The effects of a selfish life. What does it lead to? Now, we said just now, it brings distress and troubles. Distress and troubles. A selfish life causes turmoil in the home, in relationships, in families. Now, selfishness is a horrible, horrible sin. It's a sin that's very difficult to control because it involves self. It's a sin that makes you blind to the fact that you're causing so much problem in relationships, in the church, now, this is the kind of sin it is. So Saul can put so much distress and trouble because of an obsession of yours. An obsession of yours. Now, such obsession can cause so much unrest. That is the effect. Effect, unrest in your own heart, in family, in the church. Now, if you're like that at the workplace, it will be the same. You know of people who are like that in the workplace. You know, bosses can be like that. You know, um, um, colleagues can be like that. Obsessed with something. They want it and it's for themselves. They constantly cause problems. You go for meetings, you're, you're saying, oh, it's going to be this again. It's endless, right? It can be likewise in the home. Now, when we are selfish, we will make decisions that can cause havoc. Cause havoc. Disrupt the peace. Disrupt God's work. Weaken the people's heart and drain the people's energy. That's the effect. Now, Saul wanted this so much. He said, you have to promise me that you will not eat till you avenge me. The people were drained. The Bible says they were very faint. You know, when we are selfish, this is the effect we cause in our home. People get tired. Just so tired. Child, are you the one that in your home is constantly, because of your selfishness, your selfish way, you're constantly draining everybody's energy. It's always about you and what you want. Or is it you, father? Or is it you, wife? When people come home, they try to avoid the topic. They try to avoid it because the moment it comes in and they know that you want to bring it up. They know that you want to go that way and here we go again. Distress in the family. Until your people, or your children, until your friends, until church, just, just get so tired of it. Now I often say, it is not the amount of administration, the amount of planning, the amount of execution that wears out people who does the work of God in church. You ask people who serve. It's often selfish people that drains us. That is what it is. Drains our energy. Just handling those selfish people. That is all. Church direction. Now we move to the next one, right? What is the other effect? Now it hinders the work of God. Of course, because selfish people put their themselves and their aims and their desires and their preferences and their ideas ahead of God's word. It naturally will bring a hindrance to God's work. Now, look at verse 31. And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Agilon, and the people were very faint. They fought, and they fought far. They went far, but they reached a point where they were exhausted because of hunger. They were too weak already. Now, when you look at verse 36, Saul and Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until morning, and let us not leave a man of them. Why were they still men standing? Why? Because the people were too faint. They could not finish the job for God. Now, Saul's selfish ways, 
that selfish oath that he put upon everyone weakened the people to finish the work of God. They could have finished it. And as a result, here, the Philistines could not be wiped out. Now, selfishness causes the work of God to be affected. When you are selfish and you're fighting and fighting for your way and you drain people, where people's energy can be spent on doing more, whether it's in the home, your father, your mother, they're trying to bring up a family environment that is godly. But you keep wanting your way. You keep wanting this. You keep wanting to go there. You keep wanting to do this. You keep wanting to have that. And they're having to deal with that instead of their energies and their time and their resources spending to build a spiritual environment. Or it can be the husband. It can be the wife that is the one. So understand this horrible, horrible sin of selfish, a selfish life. People, your family, even as singles. You know, sometimes you have friends that are like that in church. They're selfish. It's always about them. Everything's about them. It's always talking about what they don't like, what they, what they want the church to do, what they, they want their boss to do. What they, and you, every time you sit down, it's just that, about them. After some time, you get very tired. Do you have friends like that at work? You know what it is. And as a result, instead of talking about things that will encourage the, and promote whether personal service or the directions of the church, all this begin to spread, right? Now, on a side note, I believe this is why many people leave churches that keep preaching about the kingdom of God, the power of God. Everything is about thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Because that is what the Lord taught us to pray in closing and in opening. It's always about God's kingdoms, God's kingdom, God's power and God's glory. Nothing to do with us. And give us this day or deliberate is to do that. So you will hear messages that is constantly about God and His kingdom and His power. Very little about, well, what God wants to bless you with, what God wants to give you, what God wants to do to please you. All right? Because that is not what the Bible is about. That is what Christianity is about. That is not what your salvation is about. So many people, after some time, they leave. And they love health and wealth gospel churches because down there, it's not about the kingdom or power and the glory of God, but it's about the kingdom and the power and glory of you. That is what it is. So are you secretly in your heart feeling, you know, week after week, we go to church. Uh, messages after messages is not very encouraging for me. We had the things about, you know, how God wants to bless me, uh, how God will help me in my studies and make me um, um, do very well, and how God will want to bless my family, give us riches, and go for more holidays, and how God, you know, tell us more about all these things. Every time is about God. The first commandment is to love God with all our heart, all our strength, all our soul, all our mind. It's all. All means nothing is left for ourselves. It's all about God. Beware of the selfish heart. The selfish heart will always say then, where is it about me? Christianity has nothing to do with us. When it is all about God, then you will begin to know the joy of living all for God. Understand that. So first, the effects. It causes distress and troubles in relationships, in the home, in the church, it hinders the work of God because people are drained by you. And then the third effect, it will humiliate you in the end. It will humiliate you in the end. Understand that about a selfish life. Now look at verse, um, verse 41. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die? who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel. God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that died not. In fact, before that, even before that. Now, when he grouped the people and they say, who have sinned? Now, I want you to look at verse 39. Who have sinned? Now, all the people 
answered him not. All the people answered him not. He was trying to get someone to squeal. Maybe he, somewhere in his heart he knew maybe Jonathan, I don't know. But the squeal, all the people just said, we are not going to say. And in the end, we say, oh, Jonathan, you must die. Can you imagine the father said, you must die for, for his selfishness. And the people stood against the king. God forbid, we are not going to let you kill Jonathan. He was so selfish and so blind. Selfishness makes you blind, all right? Make you th think this way. You know, I want to get what I want. And thinking that selfishness will get what you want in life. That is the deception of selfishness. I want what I want. If I act this way, I force people to do it, and I cause tantrums, problems. People have no choice but to do what I want. I will finally get what I want. But here, God will use the people to humiliate him. He did not get what he wanted. I want whoever is responsible for God not answering my prayer to avenge everything that I want to avenge and get everything that I want to get. I want that person to die. Instead, no one supported him. You know, that is selfishness, the effect of selfishness. Child, you can heal and you cry. And in the end, you, you may get what you want, but you don't know how everyone around you is sniggering and say, what, what a spoiled child. What so embarrassing. Adults, it's the same. Right? You see people behave like that at work. Everyone see through it. This is a selfish person. But the person when walk around feeling very good, I got what I wanted. Now that is how selfishness is. People can see through all of you. Now, not only that, a selfish life has the effect of alienating you from everyone else. It will slowly but surely begin to separate you from others because they will begin to see your selfishness. You keep fighting, you keep pushing, I want what I want in the home, in the church. Over time, you'll find that people don't really want to talk to you anymore. They will avoid you. You'll find that your circle of friends gets smaller and smaller. 300 over 1,000 people, people ran away, left 600. He still fight and won his ways. Now, how many people are standing with him on his side? Zero. Zero. And people saw through him, they just, we had enough. And they will begin to avoid you. Is that what's happening in your life? You begin to find that among your friends, at work, in school, people, it's getting smaller getting smaller in your family people are beginning to avoid you even your own loved ones so tired of it in church you also find that your close friends are shrinking why you have to ask yourself is it because I'm like Saul selfish selfish don't think of the better good of others I just want to get what I want, even if I will put everyone through suffering. I just want what I want. Selfishness will eventually cause you to lose everything that you thought that when you will push hard enough, throw tantrums, and eventually get, no, you will lose everything. Why will you continue down such a road? Let me ask you. Are you the problem maker at home, in church, at work, in school? Why do you want to go down that road and end up like Saul? He thought that selfishness will get what he want. Now then, lastly, let's look at the contrast of a selfless life. The contrast of a selfless life. Let me just summarize. The effects of a selfish life is brings distress and trouble, hinders the work of God, humiliates oneself eventually. But now the contrast of a selfless life. You say, where is that contrast? Who is it? Well, of course, it's none other than Jonathan. None other than Jonathan. Now look at Jonathan's attitude. Oops. All right, now look at verse um, 43. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey 
with the end of the rod that was in my hand. And lo, I must die. I must die. Now, first you have to ask, maybe some of us are confused now, what is happening here? What is it? Now, what was the sin? Was there sin? What was it? Now, we know for one thing, it's very clear. When the lot was cast, not the people. Cast again, not Saul. God very specifically pointed out that Jonathan was the culprit for why he did not answer the prayer of the people. That is very clear. All right? The lot was cast. Saul's request is show us why you don't, you're not answering our prayer. And God says, it's Jonathan. What do you think was the sin? We need to resolve that first. Then we can learn about Jonathan's character. All right? Now, what was the sin? Do you think it was because Jonathan took some honey? It can't be. Because if you turn to chapter 14, now, look at verse 27. Verse, end of verse 26 says, The people feared the oath. The people, they were under oath. They knew. And they were afraid to break it. But verse 27 says, But, ah, but, adversity, but, on the contrast, on the contrary, Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Jonathan was not part of the oath. He didn't even know about it when he tasted the honey. So Jonathan was not guilty of breaking the oath. That's clear. Neither were the people because, well, in the first place, they ate in the evening. The charge was no one must eat until taste any food until the evening, all right? In verse 24, until evening. And the people ate at night in verse 34. So it was also not because of eating. The people did not break that. Also, of course, the people would let go off. The Lord was on Jonathan. Now, what do you think was Jonathan's sin? Because God made clear, God did point Jonathan out. There was sin. Now, the clue is found in um, verse, verses 28 and 29, 28 to 30. These were the only things that God recorded about what Jonathan said and did. All right? The only thing that God wants us to know. And God pointed out that he has sinned. So it will be found here. Now, first, in verse 28, he said, Thy father really charged the people. Well, in verse 29, he said, My father hath troubled the land. That's the first thing he says. Then the second thing he says, Look, look, my eyes have been lightened because I tasted a little of this honey. Now, how much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which had been found? For had, then, for had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? God only recorded these things about what Jonathan said and did. Now, what do you think was the sin? Like I said earlier on, the oath was a selfish oath, but it was not a sinful oath. And the people did end up under that oath with Saul. Saul adjured them, and they had to take the oath. Of course, they can not take the oath, all right? But they know that, John, that if you don't take the oath, probably get killed by Saul, all right? So they were under such an oath. But Jonathan, although it was not a sinful oath, Jonathan said, my father had troubled the land. He planted the seed in the people's mind. What my father did is not good. And they say, see, I ate, and how much more? If only you all ate as well. How many more enemies can be slain? Is it a fact? Yes. But he was still teaching the people to go against the king's non-sinful, though yes, selfish, albeit, but non-sinful oath, direction, vow that he made them make with him. It was still wrong. The only thing that's recorded here is Jonathan telling the people, well, you know, if, if you don't do this, oh, you can do a lot more. Now, I believe this is one of the rare records about Jonathan's failure. All right? Other than that, you don't read. He was a very good man, a godly man, but he fell into this problem, all right, this sin. 
Now, what is the point that we must learn? Even if you disagree with something, whether it's at home, in the church, at the workplace, but it's not sinful. Now, even if you want people to follow you, not out of a selfish reason, Jonathan said we could have killed more enemies. And we've seen so far, Jonathan was not a selfish person. All right? Even if it's not out of selfish purposes that you try, that you try to influence others to go against something in the eyes of God and this is the point we must not miss in the eyes of God no matter how he have used you earlier on which he did in Jonathan's case he will still single you out to have sinned and the lesson is this how much more will we be guilty of before God how much more would we incur the anger of God when we try to get people to turn against authorities out of a selfish motive? How much more guilty will we be? Even for Jonathan's case, God says, no, no. You have caused sin in the camp. I say this again. When something is not sinful at home, wives, submit. We studied on Friday, right? Are you ready for courtship? Unless you are ready, do you even submit to an unbelieving husband? Not that we're asking you to believe, uh, marry unbelievers. But First Peter teaches us, if you're married and you're converted and it's an unbelieving husband, submit to everything, unless it's sinful, right? Are you ready? Wives, are you the problem at home? you would not submit. Yes, it's not. Well, maybe your husband asks you to do something selfish. Right? Oh, selfishness. Now, what is the way to resolve this? It is not to, you're his help. It's not to encourage him to continue in sin. You're a help. Yes, you're supposed to honour him. So, in, an in a way that honours him, in a way that is meek, help him to realise he is selfish. You're supposed to help him. Right? Honor him in a meek way. You are supposed to help him. Like the people, they, they, they rationalize with King Saul. Right? They rationalize with King Saul. That is the way to do it. They pleaded and explained to King Saul. Right? King Saul then, well, by the working of God in his heart, he responded to it. So the way, when you disagree with something at home in the church, it is in your mind not good. The way is not to start acting against it. Punting seed in others' minds and getting them to do it with you. That is not the way. Go to the leadership. Speak with the leadership. Like they went to King Saul. All right, King Saul, enough already. But also remember this. You have to ask yourself before you go to talk to your boss, your parents, your spouse. Ask, what? Is what I am asking selfish? It's just I simply want this for myself. I don't care if the rest of the family, the rest of the church have to go through all this just because I want it this way. I think it should be this way. Ask yourself that question first. All right? Now, likewise, for the husband, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're supposed to help her be spiritual. You cannot abdicate, you cannot neglect the responsibility. You must know that God hates a heart that devises wicked imaginations, be swift, to run, swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. God hates that. Even if it is Jonathan, are you swift in running to mischief? I will go and approach this person. I will do this. I will just do this. Do it until my family does it with me. Do it until church, other people in church will do it with me. Until my friends will do it with me in school. Are you like that? Swift in running to mischief, to sow discord among brethren. Don't do that. 
Even for Jonathan, God will single him out. How much more when you're doing it for a selfish purpose? Better ask, is this a selfish expectation? Right? If it's for the kingdom of God, more people will know the gospel, more people will understand the word, more people will learn more for the good, the general good. Don't be selfish. All right? So, now, what are we to learn from here? Jonathan's selfless life. This is the point. There are things bigger than me. To learn from Jonathan, learn this. There are things bigger than me. If I am in the way of God answering prayers, then let me die. You see, Jonathan, Jonathan, in a sense, he did not say he has sinned, you know. He didn't want to argue with King Saul. He didn't want to argue with his father. But that, you know, I did not hear the vow. I wasn't there. You know that. The people know that. He did not even to argue that. He simply said, well, if I'm the problem, if my eating started a chain of problems, now look at what he says. Verse 43, I must die. There are things bigger than me. Christian, that is what we must learn about a selfless life. If God's work is impacted, God's work is reduced, the spirituality of my family, I want this, I want that, Daddy, Mommy, but it is going to impact family worship, it's going to impact studying the Word, it's going to impact prayer, it's going to impact spiritual walk, impact testimony of the family, child, as much as you want that, as much as all your friends have that, but you know it will impact your family and the testimony, you say, is bigger. There are things bigger than what I want in school, at work, in the church. Bigger than me. Why do you think Christ said, if any man want to follow me, let him take up his cross. Painful. Deny himself. Deny himself, take up his cross. It's dying to self. That is what it is. A selfless life is like that. Have you been selfish about something? Is it time to examine your heart? Ask yourself, why is my family in this state? Why is my home? Why am I like that in church? Why am I like that at work? Why am I like that in school? Is it time to change? There are things bigger than me. Now, he readily just say, if, 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 if me getting out of the way... God will answer the prayers and the people of God can do His work, then let me be out of the way. That is what it is. Now, another thing is about a selfless life is ready to admit fault. Ready to admit fault. Especially when you have caused trouble. You have caused trouble. Like I said earlier, he didn't want to argue, but he knows that God has singled him out. He knows that he has caused problem in the camp. He knows. And he just simply say, well, I must die. I, I'm, I've caused problem. Yes, I've caused problem. Are you like that at home? Daddy, mommy, yes, I've caused a lot of problems in the recent month at home by my attitude or at work or in church. I've caused problem. I've caused others to follow my ways, to do what I do, cause my sibling to follow me, to turn against you, daddy and mommy. Now, then the last one. The last one. Now, be ready to put aside self for the work of God. Be ready to put aside self for the work of God. Now, Jonathan was ready to die so that the kingdom's work, God's purpose, and the people can continue doing God's work. What should we give way to? Because selfishness is about giving way, right? I'm oh, sorry, selflessness is about giving way to something else. Now, I'm not for one moment teaching us that, well, for the good of everyone, let's just do it. Now, if, if that good is a spiritual good, let us be out of the way. Now, but if, that, if, if you're talking about, well, it pleases people, they, they like it, and simply to scratch their itching ears, and let's just do it. Now, when it comes to truth, doctrines, the work of God, you will notice that, that Jonathan 
was someone that will not budge. These Philistines, when it's about the name of God, the nation of God, the glory of God, he will not budge. He will fight all the way. But when it comes to, I've caused problems and impeded the work of God, say, I'm ready to put myself aside. What I want, what I prefer, I'm not going to argue and rationalize. I'm just going to, even ready to say, well, get me out of the picture. Right? Now, selfishness can cause us to become very stubborn. Put yourself aside. Put yourself aside. Now, in closing, I want to apply, I want to have some applications. All right? Now, parents, be very careful. If your child exhibits selfish traits, they hew and they cry and they know when they throw tantrums, they will get their way. You are teaching them to be selfish. You're teaching them that if I make enough noise and I make enough trouble at home and I tire everybody out, I will eventually get my way. Right, children have more energy than you, right? I will get my way. And you keep letting it happen. That is what you're breeding. You say you want to build godly seed. A godly seed is never a selfish seed. A godly seed is concerned about, the God, uh, concerned about God's work. So this is one area you have to watch very carefully. Selfishness starts in the home. All right? They get what they want at home. Then they expect to get what they want in school. Then they will get what they want in church and the workplace. It is like that. It starts in the home. Well, spouses, I'm not exempting us. Right? That's how we are too. Well, singles, if that's how you are, one danger about being a single that you must realize is you're very used to doing everything on your own without needing to keep considering someone else, a family. Over time, you can become someone who says, so used to just doing things and what suits you. You can develop a selfishness. Right? It starts, it starts there. Now, children learn this as well. When you keep feeling that if you make enough trouble, you will get your way at home, in school, among your friends, you are going to grow up to be King Saul. You want to be King Saul? That is what is going to happen. Now, I remember, I remember coming across this case, right? The world is so selfish and self-centered today, they really cannot understand things anymore. This person went to a shop and said she wanted to pawn something, all right? And the man said, well, for this, you can only get, I can only give you X dollars. And the person said, I want Y dollars, more, much more. And the person said, no, you know, I, I can't give you more than this. This is what it's worth. And the person could not understand. The person was screaming and ranting in the shop and she said, no, which part of why dollars do you not understand? Which part of I want why dollars do you not understand? And at first I thought she was joking. Made a huge scene in the shop. Police had to be called in by the shop. And when the police called in, she just told the police, you know, I'm glad you are here. You have to talk to these people. They are so unreasonable. I've already told them I want why dollars. But they just refused to give it to me. Can you please deal with them? She was serious. And I asked myself, how can someone reach that stage of utter self-centered and selfishness that they cannot understand? It's not about them and not about what they want and everyone has to give them just simply what they want. Child, are you like that? You look at this and say, oh, what a horrible, unreasonably selfish person. But that is your heart. Adults, we have a different way to be selfish. You may not scream and hew and, and cry like your child and in the shopping centre and then sit down and kick. I know adults don't do that, right? But you have your own way, own way of getting your selfish desires. You pout at your spouse. You make things difficult. What's the problem? Nothing. You give the cold shoulder, right? That's your way, your selfish way of getting what you want. 
Now, a selfish life has consequences, distresses and cause trouble to those around you, negatively impacts God's work, and will eventually destroy yourself. Or you want to choose. You want to choose to be selfless. It's your choice. Let us rise to sing the closing hymn. Let us rise, 418. 418. Let us rise, 418. All for Jesus, 418. All for Jesus. <laughs>